Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it could save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Well, now GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with $10 in credit. Here's what you'll need to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store, click on the My Ticket section of the app, create an account, and then under the billing section, redeem code VATHLETIC, that's no spaces, VATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who use the redeem code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. Go, man. Tear it off, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. It was a game during which everything went wrong for the 49ers, yet it finished perfectly right. That's the best way that I could sum this up, guys. They beat the Rams 34-31 in a game during which Jimmy Garoppolo was sacked six times, a game during which the defense couldn't stop a nosebleed throughout large portions of this game. And it was the opposite of the first matchup between the 49ers and the Rams when Jared Goff couldn't pass at all. I think that first time he only averaged 1.7 yards per drop back. Well, today he was at a full seven per drop back, and the play-action bootleg was working with impunity in the first half. The 49ers were just at a loss on both sides of the football throughout large swaths of this game, but somehow... Some way, they clawed out of it, dug themselves out of a bad situation all around, and were able to drive for the game-winning Robbie Gold field goal as time expired for an extremely emotional victory because C.J. Buthard's brother, Clay, uh, was stabbed to death earlier in the morning. In Nashville, at, what, something like 2 a.m. in the morning after an incident outside of a bar, and that definitely weighed heavily on the 49ers. It was a game they dedicated to C.J. Beathard, who was not with the team. Tragedy struck, and the 49ers were somehow able to pull this game out, and that emotion was just visceral, pouring out of the locker room. This season has been highlighted by stuff like this, just one of those games that had so much, so much emotion, and this was, you know, just another level of emotion because of the tragedy, but the 49ers were able to get it done against the Rams to move to 12-3. and Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of the, the game two weeks ago in New Orleans. That, that game was dedicated to Tony York, uh, Jed's brother, who uh, died the year prior, and there was a, a ton of emotion after that one. There was even more after this one. Shanahan was in tears. It was tough just seeing CJ last night, you know, just finding out about it the way we did and just going to be there for him. And there's just how horrible it is, and there's nothing you can really do about it or say. So um, you'd have to ask the guys that. I know they had heavy hearts. You know, we all knew everyone finds out um, on their phones, you know, before all of us get a chance to talk about it. So everyone knew when they got in here. And um, I just, people on this team really, really respect CJ and, and his family. And regardless of just anyone for something like that to happen to is as horrible of anything I can imagine. George Kittle. Also was in tears. Uh, first, I'd like to just um, send my love to the Bethard family, um, him and CJ and just their whole family. Um, just a terrible thing to happen to such an incredible family and an incredible person. Um, knowing them for eight years. Uh, 
kind of a little brother to me. So that one was definitely for CJ and that family. Um, and I'm just so happy we could get it done for them. George Kittle is always the, the happiest guy in the room. And Kittle has known the, the Bethards for eight years, uh, obviously went to Iowa with, with CJ. And then he also works out in Nashville in the off-seasons with C.J. and Trent Taylor, and, and uh, he's gotten to know Clay through those workouts. So he was just an emotional wreck. And th this started early on. I mean, uh, C.J. learned about it around 3 a.m. Pacific time, and that's when the, the coaches were alerted. John Lynch, the GM, drove from his house to the team hotel to be with C.J. Beathard until his flight took off to Nashville this morning. So uh, just a long wrenching day for this team and that's been the theme this season I mean every game it seems like is just an emotional roller coaster and they're heading to Seattle for the finale next week and they said you know we're battle tested we've been through it all at this point we're ready for Seattle I guess Dennis my question to you is when a team has a roller coaster year an emotionally fraught year like that is that something that makes them stronger or does it wear you down by the end of the season. You hit on something that's pretty important. This San Francisco 49er team is battle-tested. They've won games in the mud. They've won close games. They've come from behind. They've won on offense. They've won on defense. I think that's what you need kind of going into this phase now, this playoff phase. You know, things aren't going to go your way. And, and I think a lot of teams get into the playoffs, and if they're used to winning a certain way, they really don't know how to, to win a game, come from behind, play in different weather, play through adversities, injuries, and things like that. So I think the 49ers, I mean, you can really say they've been battle-tested. And there's a lot you can take from this game. There's a lot that you can kind of nitpick on. But the 49ers got the win. So it sets up Week 17 against the Seattle Seahawks. The rivalry's back. I don't think it matters if the Seattle Seahawks win tomorrow or if they lose tomorrow. That game's going to come down to if the playoffs kind of go through Levi Stadium. So I think this team has been battle-tested, you know, and, and I think it's good moving forward going into the playoffs. Talking to Richard Sherman after, I'll quote him right here. But this is a special team. Guys care about each other. Guys care about winning. Guys go out there and execute and fight to the last second. That's what's special. It's not always perfect. Not always how you draw it up, but when you have guys who are willing to fight tooth and nail to the last straw, the last play, to the last moment, you got a chance. That's what our defense did to make the plays needed to win the game. That's what our offense did, and that's what our special teams did today. And I think that Richard Sherman summed that up uh, better than, than we could with that. Because we look at the full mosaic of this season, guys, and you see through the first 10 games or so, the 49ers were just absolutely dominant, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they were literally doing historic things. They uh, held Aaron Rodgers to the worst game of his career. They held Jared Goff, who we saw today and who was in the Super Bowl last year, to the worst game of his career back in October. Some of the stats that you saw just didn't make sense. That's how good this defense was through 10 games. But now we fast forward a couple months. We're here on the very stretch run. This is the final sprint of the regular season with the huge crucible of the decade coming up in Seattle next Sunday. And the 49ers are running on fumes now. Injuries have taken their toll. The emotional roller coaster has taken its toll. And we're no longer talking about spectacular statistical performances and, you know, whether or not this is going to be historical or not. We're wondering if this team can just hold on and find a way to dig deep 
and get these huge wins. And today they answered again in the affirmative that they can do this. And it took a completely cohesive effort at the end of the game from all three phases of the football, right? They had to deliver that game-winning drive. They had to kick the field goal. And and the defense had to find a way to stop the Rams enough to set up that game-winning drive there at the end. And what really stood out to me, Matt, is uh, the two third and 16s. They converted those twice on the winning drive, the 49ers entering this game had been 0 for 20 in third or 15 and longer this season. Two for two on that final drive after not being able to convert a single one all season. And they did it by, you know, pulling a, a trick out of the deepest depths of their bag. George Kittle had been the only guy that they had virtually targeted all of last week. Well, because the pass protection was so bad, Kyle Shanahan had to leave George Kittle in to block. And the other receivers had to step up, and boy, did they ever through Kendrick Bourne and then Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, imagine that uh, a critical third down that uh, the throw isn't going to George Kittle. That had almost become, I don't want to say critique of this team, but uh, you know the 49ers kind of always telegraphed what they were going to do in those critical situations. It was going to Kittle. And to their credit, they came up with different solutions, third and 16 to Kendrick Bourne. Bourne said after that play that, you know, Garoppolo had been telling the receivers, hey, run your routes a little bit more shallow. I, I mean, the, the pressure is so much that I've got to get rid of the ball faster than usual. So if it's a, a third and 16 play, run it to 12 yards because I, I need to get rid of the ball that fast. And that's exactly what happened. Bourne caught that pass short of the sticks. And as Kendrick Bourne seems to always do, he wriggled his way to a first down. I mean, Kendrick Bourne gets first downs. That's what he's known for at this point. And in each of those plays, Jimmy Garoppolo is stepping into the teeth of that Rams defense. He does not have happy feet. He's taking these hits and a very modest game for him, very humbling game. Going into that final drive, he had a passer rating in the 30s. I mean, it was terrible. Six sacks, ties, a career high for him, et cetera, et cetera. But all it came down to was that final drive and uh, he stepped up and took a lot of hits. A lot of them were sort of self-created hits because he's holding on to the ball for so long. But uh, it was a, a gutsy performance by him, playoff-type performance by him. And Dennis, you have to be feel pretty good about your starting quarterback if you're the 49ers coming through in these close games. And that's what you want from a quarterback. It really feels like he's got a short memory. He throws an interception. You saw the first interception. It felt like he just didn't see the defender. The second one, it was kind of a tip thing, and you know he's had a few of those. But it really feels like he kind of forgets that stuff, and he, he kind of stays focused on the offense. I think in the second half, the offense just kind of disappeared in the third quarter. Second quarter, they kind of exploded a little bit, but the third quarter coming out, nothing. Fourth quarter, sacks. At one point, he had been sacked like three times consecutively, so... He was getting a lot of pressure, a lot of heat. It felt like he wasn't very decisive where he wanted to throw the ball. Three-step drop, he was sitting in the pocket kind of looking around, and then he was getting sacked. But then to come back on those those last couple drives, when you need it, when you need that play, and that throw, Kendrick Bourne was the rope, and it was between two defenders. And then, you know, he was actually, his arm was, I think his arm was, was hit with the Emmanuel uh, Sanders yeah. pass. And, and, you know, he stood in the pocket there, and, and again, I think it's just the confidence. And, and, you know, what that does is that just everyone on the team just says, hey, this is our guy. And, you know, he could have easily just kind of said, forget about it. My offensive line's not blocking. I, I got to use my biggest weapon, 
George Kittle to help block to protect me. He could have just said forget about it and kind of give up on it. But, you know, he's a guy that's got some resolve to him and he's shown some toughness. He ran for a first down, I think for this only the second first down in the second half. So he's got a little grit to him and you got to love a quarterback like that, you know, who gets just harassed six times, sacks six times in the second half and still be able to sit in the pocket and make throws when he has to. Well, today was a tale of two quarterbacks in my mind. The 49ers had the tough guy and the Rams didn't. Sean McVay had a heck of a game plan, but he had to hold Jared Goff's hand throughout the whole game. I mean, the whole thing was uh, play fake rollouts to get Goff away from the pressure because he wanted to avoid what happened in Los Angeles back in October. And it was productive. The 49ers defense, which is a shell of its former self, I think, as far as the edge rush is concerned. And, you know, right now, I think they're really missing Jaquaski Tart in the secondary. But Goff was picking them apart. He was throwing some nice passes, but it was all scheme stuff. It was all McVeigh moving guys laterally, getting them open. When the 49ers finally made an adjustment at halftime, and forced Jared Goff to actually throw from the pocket again. Even though the 49ers didn't get a single sack, that really, I think, altered the flow of this game. And there were two drives where Goff just decided to give up and throw the ball into the ground. One of them was a spike that turned into intentional grounding that actually might have cost L.A. the football game because it pushed Greg Zerline into a 52-yard field goal, and he was kicking with a hurt quad. So you look back on that play, Jared Goff cost the Rams. Meanwhile, Jimmy Garoppolo's sitting there in the pocket. He's not throwing the ball into the turf when he's getting hit. He's stepping into these big throws, even though his interior line couldn't block at all for him for most of the game. In my mind, the 49ers had the guy who was able to deliver from the pocket, even under major duress, while the Rams didn't. And I thought that ended up being the difference in the game in crunch time. And Matt, I think the NFL often comes down to that. It comes down to having the quarterback who can stand in there after all the smoke and mirrors have evaporated, and he can deliver mano a mano from the pocket. And Jimmy Garoppolo really showed that he was the guy that could do that. Yeah, he was uh, fantastic at the end. Although, I got to say, golf looked really, really good at points this game. I mean, some really beautiful throws that he was able to throw to Robert Woods in particular. The contrast between golf today and Goff on October 13 is just so stark. He threw for 78 yards in the first meeting, 323 today. And yeah, a lot of it was screen stuff and concocted plays by Sean McVay. And that brings up a big question for these 49ers. They've known for half the season now that teams are going to attack them with screen passes. That's what slows down their pass rush. You know, it takes away their strength, which is their ability to attack pocket passers. But yet these screen passers are still effective. There hasn't really been an answer to that this season. And I agree with you, David, that the 49ers pass rush is not what it was at one point. But I think a huge part of that is what opponents are doing to them. And that's not being in situations where they're they're dropping back five and seven passes. Dennis, I was hoping that to ask you this throughout the game, and, and that's, you know, what does a defensive line in particular do to throttle the, the screen game of, of another team? Because the 49ers just don't seem to be doing the right things when it comes to that particular play. Well, the Rams had a brilliant game plan. The game plan was to move the pocket. You might say it's scheme. It's game plan. You have to slow down this rush. Jared Goff is not a very mobile quarterback. Tonight, he looked very mobile. I mean, he was getting to the edges, but he's a guy that's not going to let plays develop. 
So once you got someone in his face, he's going to throw the ball in the dirt. And you saw that in the second half once you made the adjustment. So I think the game plan was to kind of slow down this rush, get the rush running sideline to sideline, tire out these guys, and hopefully in the fourth quarter, they'll be dead. There was some rotation there with the defensive line because they were trying to keep them fresh, not worn down like against Atlanta when you had no pass rush in the fourth quarter. But how are you going to defend the screen? The screen is something you just have to read on the run as a defensive lineman because those offensive linemen want you up the field. So it's going to be a little easier, but you're in the middle of the game, your adrenaline's going, you're getting to the passer. But if you throw like a little swim move and they throw you up the field, you just have to recognize that's just part of the reads that you get. You have to understand that this offensive lineman wants me to go up the field and kind of break off your pass rush. And the big thing is not turn and run to the sidelines. You turn and run back to the point where you took off from because that's where the ball's going. So it's just about your recognition, your understanding of the scheme, what they're trying to do. And you're exactly right, Matt, that this is what teams do. And you're going to see it next week. You know, you'll see Russell Wilson move in the pocket. He wants to get on the edge and he wants to throw the ball down the field. And they run screens very well. And Eric Armstead's a guy that's been able to, to read screens really well this season he can see when that offensive guard or tackle is trying to push him up the field and he can kind of stop in his tracks and and then retract and make a play down the field didn't see it tonight but it was a good game plan to get Jared Goff moving get him on the edges and just kind of throw those quick short passes and I was hoping the 49ers would kind of adopt that a little bit some short passes I mean throwing the ball down the field is fantastic for those big gash plays But like you said, sometimes those little screen passes or those little bootleg passes turn into 15, 20 yards. And the Rams were getting 5, 10, 15 yards, you know, these big gash plays throughout the night. So defend it, you just got to recognize it as a defensive front because a lot of times, especially if you're in zone or you're in man coverage, you can't see those offensive linemen coming off. But good adjustments in the second half. You saw that interception to Fred Warner was the 49ers just getting out of zone and getting into man coverage and just kind of running downhill on that quick screen. So, you know, it's just one of those things you have to recognize as a game goes on. Yeah, I thought that that was a critical sequence late in the first half. The Rams had been picking apart the zone. They took a 21-10 lead midway through the second quarter. And then two things happened. The 49ers responded with a nice long touchdown drive of their own that took about four and a half minutes, and it finished with a nice Raheem Mostert 16-yard scoring run. So that made it 21-17. But what happened is that the Rams, they didn't get the ball back until really late in the first half to where they didn't have a lot of time. And that worked to the 49ers' favor because it finally forced Jared Goff out of his scripted rollout you know, McVay run offense, and it put him into the shotgun where he had to just throw from kind of a standard pocket. And the 49ers, as Dennis just said, moved to the man defense, and Fred Warner pounced. Goff got too robotic. He thought it was going to be out there in the flat, just like everything had been all game against the zone. But Fred Warner jumped in front of that pass, took it back 46 yards. It was his first interception since college, since he was a junior at BYU. So that meant that the 49ers entered halftime with the lead they entered with the wind at their backs for finally the defense which had been I think eroding over the course of a good month you know blow after blow after blow injuries scores the defense just hadn't you know things weren't going their way finally things were going their way at halftime 
That's when Sala made the adjustment. He had the defensive ends go straight up field instead of crash. That left them more vulnerable, theoretically, to Todd Gurley in the run, but they were still able to stop Todd Gurley. He only had 48 rushing yards on the game, and they stopped Goff from rolling out every single play. It wasn't perfect by any stretch, but they stopped them just enough. And if you look at the other side of the ball, Matt, the offense for the 49ers, man, that interior line got blown up today, and they were starting Dan Brunskill instead of Mike Person at right guard, so that was a change. But Brunskill was the least of their worries. Today, I thought that Ben Garland definitely had a rougher outing than last week, and it went all the way down to a lot of slow snaps. The timing there, I thought, really threw off the 49ers offense. Yeah, there were at least uh, a half a dozen bad snaps. I mean, if you're being very critical of the snaps, some of them were literally bad where they landed on the ground. But you're right, some of them... Garoppolo had to reach for, and, you know, that gets the guy out of his rhythm. I got to think that having Aaron Donald line up opposite you makes you rush that snap a little bit because you know that that guy's going to be coming very, very quickly. And Donald was as disruptive as uh, we would have thought he was, especially after Grady Jarrett's big outing with the Falcons. I think when we go back and look at the film on this, we're going to see Donald moving around uh, against uh, just about everyone. He was going against Joe Staley at times as well and him taking advantage mostly of those interior guys. That's just like it was last week against the Falcons. Brunskill did, and, and you noted this Raheem Mostert touchdown run. He had a beautiful block that's kind of sealed off the Rams defender initially. In, in, Aaron in Donald. Was it Donald? Yeah. So yeah. You know, Mostert is one of those guys that he's so fast that as soon as he hits that hole and if he's got a break through that line, He's gone, and that's exactly what happened. So that was uh, that was Raheem Mostert's. He's scored a touchdown now in five straight NFL games, which I think is the first time that's happened since 1995 with uh, Derek Lavelle, one of Dennis's old teammates. So uh, that's pretty impressive from him. But yeah, that's got to be something that uh, the 49ers fix with uh, Seahawks coming up. Yeah, and you know, my question is: is where is this downhill? San Francisco 49er running game that we saw early in the season. Matthew Breida must not be right. His ankle still must hurt. Tevin Coleman had a big run there late in the football game. But I think second half, I think Debo had the leading. He was a leading rusher uh, because uh, they just weren't running the ball. And, And Raheem, again, I mean, he shows out. I mean, he's a guy that's come over a gunner, special teams guy, and he is, you know, the number one guy. So it must be that interior line. I mean, both the tackles are back. Seems like the running game was better when, you know, both the tackles weren't in there. And, you know, that interior line was playing a lot better. But Rich Berg's not in there. It's going to be a factor this week. That's my concern. I mean, because against Seattle, you need to have a run game and you need to have have a a strong passing game down the field to play against this, uh, you know, if Clowney's going to play definitely next week. So my concern is is that offensive line and, and where's the run game gone to? I think it all comes down to the center, and I think that's why this is going to be a slog the rest of the way for the 49ers, that they're just going to have to find a way to work around. They're going to have to swallow a tough pill and gut through it, and that's exactly what they did on the final two drives of this game today. But if you just look at this bleakly, the honest truth is that they paid a lot of money for Weston Richburg to be the cohesive center of this line to help in both pass protection and also to make sure that that run blocking was all very well choreographed and organized. So it makes total sense that there's a huge drop off without Weston Richburg. It makes total sense that Garoppolo 
was pressured within the snap of a finger today, and, and Aaron Donald was up in his face, and he took six sacks, and the offense really stalled for for large portions of this game. And it makes total sense that it took, I think, a heroic effort on those final two drives for the 49ers to overcome that. If you look at what they did, first they hit George Kittle. on This was the go-ahead drive, the second-to-last drive. And that's a whole other topic we could discuss at a later time. But it looked like Jalen Ramsey began his holdout right there and then. Did not want to tackle George Kittle, who just sprinted by him. That got the 49ers going. Then they found Ross Dwelly in the seam who held on for a sensational catch despite a personal foul. But the play that stood out to me, guys, was the go-ahead touchdown to George Kittle where the pass protection broke down again. Garoppolo had to go off schedule, rolls out. I mean, this was not planned. And he finds George Kittle who was coming back toward the goal line but was still in the end zone for the touchdown. I mean, that was just the 49ers willing and forcing through a touchdown in non-ideal circumstances. And Matt, to be honest, uh, based on how Seattle looked against Ben Garland during two possessions when Western Richburg was out about a month and a half ago, and based on what I saw today, I think they may have to will their way to some scores to finish this job during this season. I don't think anything is going to come easy for a team that is very obviously shorthanded at a very important position right now. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about them being battle-hardened and winning in, in different circumstances. And that Kittle touchdown you just highlighted is a wonderful example. That play was designed to go to George Kittle. He's the first option on that play. But Garoppolo drops back and he sees that George Kittle is just mobbed by Rams defenders because that's what everybody knows that the ball is going to George Kittle. So he had to go off of his first read. Then the play breaks down. Then he comes back to Kittle, who does a great job, I thought, of kind of breaking away from the coverage and going back towards the quarterback and catching the ball just short of that goal line for a huge touchdown. I mean, a beautiful red zone touchdown, which really isn't what George Kittle's been known for at this point in his career. It's, It's more long touchdowns, at least it was last season, and he's starting to become more of a red zone threat this year. So I I think that's good. You know, going back to what we said earlier, though, you can point to different weeks of the season where it's been a different hero at different times. Even um, some obscure guys have stepped up. Dante Pettis against the Steelers and against the Cardinals in Arizona. I don't even think Pettis got on the field again today, but my point being is that they've been able to kind of scrounge for victories at at various points, which I agree with you is going to have to be the name of the game this next Sunday in Seattle. There's a lot of parts of this team that I think because of injuries, it's not what it was beginning of the year, but you know, the task is in front of you now. I don't think it matters if if Seattle wins or loses tomorrow against the Cardinals. I think it's going to come down for that number one seed a week from tomorrow in in Seattle. And you got to go like New Orleans, you got to go into a Get on the road. You got to be efficient. You got to play in a loud stadium and you got to be effective. And you're playing against a quarterback, another quarterback, I think is probably one of the better quarterbacks in the National Football League. And, you know, and you played five quarters against them the first time you met. So it's going to be a battle and and you have to be efficient. I was super impressed with special teams today. I mean, that Richie James return was huge. I think that set up the first touchdown. So those are the plays you're going to need. You're going to need plays on defense like Fred Warner. Guys who are in place to make plays like Marcel Harris, you got to make that interception. So when you're on the road and, and it's going to be, again, we talk every week, the biggest game for the San Francisco 49ers, but this is really the biggest game of the San Francisco 49ers. This time we're serious. This is this the biggest game. This time we're game. serious. <laughs> we, we obviously can't say the biggest game of the decade because they've played a bigger one this decade 
in <laughs> Seattle at this very spot. But this is the final game of the decade, right, for the 49ers. And it's so fitting that it comes at Seattle. You look at all of the history between these two franchises, starting with the Harbaugh versus Pete Carroll rivalry. Then through the dark times, the 49ers got the crap kicked out of them by the Seahawks so many times. Then to now, with the Seahawks still representing that hurdle that the 49ers have to get over. I mean, that game that went to overtime, that went a full five quarters in November, was so symbolic. And the 49ers obviously came up short. They obviously didn't have George Kittle or even Emmanuel Sanders for most of the game. But hey, you have to beat the boss in the video game to win the video game, right? So Seattle is the boss. The 49ers have not been able to get over that hump quite yet. And they have the chance in Week 17 in a game that means so much because it's going to determine the NFC West and it's going to determine whether or not the 49ers get a critical bye. And we talked about it before. This team needs the bye. They haven't had one since Week 3. So let's be realistic. They need to get a week off if they want to make a nice playoff run. So it all comes down to this Week 17, and it was never meant to be easy. In fact, on the wall in the 49ers locker room, there is a big mural, I guess. It's a bunch of oversized pictures of a lot of the greats and it's Steve Young and Jerry Rice, Roger Craig and all it says on this wall it won't be easy but it will be worth it and I think that's just such a fitting mural for this week and this season for the 49ers and they need to look back at some of that franchise history it will not be easy but if they can get this done in week 17 it will be worth it it'll be worth the buy they can get and the easier playoff positioning and a test like this never seemed to come easy right guys in the NFL you do have to beat the boss and that's what's in front of the 49ers now after this extremely tough win they're going to have to find a way to just force it and get it done next week in the Pacific Northwest yeah absolutely i mean the home field advantage obviously is a huge huge plus for the Seahawks the 49ers have a little bit of an edge because they played on Saturday so so they've got one extra day to rest up. They're starting to slowly kind of heal up. They might be able to get uh, Joukowsky Tart back. And we've been talking for the last three weeks about how much they miss him. And it was clear again today with some uh, misplays by Marcel Harris, his backup. And Julian Taylor also could be back. And to people who are wondering whether the 49ers are just absolutely snake bit and whether they have more injuries than every other team in the league, the Seahawks have dealt with quite a few of their own. Two, Jadavian Clowney for long stretches. They always seem to have issues along the offensive line. So the 49ers just might be getting some guys back at the right time. I think it's probably still too early for D Ford, but some of these other guys should be back. And like I said, they've got one extra day of rest, which maybe uh, it's more psychological than anything at this point in the season because everybody's so beat up. But, uh, yeah, they've got it, and uh, the Seahawks don't. Just think about with this team, you know, how important that bye is. I mean, just, just to have a week, just to maybe get some guys back or get the guys who are on the field rested up a little bit. You know, I was impressed with the way Eric Armstead played today. Again, he was a guy, I think he's probably, at least to me, He's the most consistent guy on the defensive line, but he's got to be beat up because he's on the field. He got a little rest today, but he's on the field. Quite a bit of defensive snaps. And guys like that in DeForest Buck, those guys just need to be able to take some time off. So, you know, Coach used to always tell us, keep it stupid and simple. You win, you get home field advantage, you get a week off, 
to watch everyone else play and you got to win two football games and you go to the Super Bowl. And that's the way they should look at it right now. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it for the 49ers if they can get this done. We'll see if they can finish it off next Sunday. And because of uh, the Christmas holiday here, that's when our next podcast will be. So make sure that you uh, tune in after that 49ers Seattle next Sunday, likely in prime time. Boy, this one was fun. The 49ers beat the Rams 34 to 31. It was obviously also emotional. Again, we should send our condolences out to the Bethard family because that obviously was a big tragedy that was, you know, part of the emotional undercurrent of this game. And there was certainly a lot going on. We certainly felt all of that down in the 49ers locker room afterward but it's all part of uh, this journey that the 49ers are on that has now moved to the very final week of the 2019 regular season so we'll be watching this one very closely we hope that you enjoy the rest of this week with your families and uh, make sure to check back in for some more 49ers analysis some more podcast this next coming weekend for Matt Barrows and for Dennis Brown this is David Lombardi we'll talk to you guys next time on the here's the catch podcast